Welcome to the Hub World. Please log in now. Hello, and welcome to the first episode of Tales from the Hub World. I'm Jake. I'm Jesse. I'm Deeds. And we are but some of the few members that are going to be rotating in and out of the cast per episode based on topics that we've chosen. Why the Hub World? Well, we really wanted to, to pick something that felt video gamey, but wasn't already done thousands of times. Uh, so no, like Nintendo, no uh, the the question block or 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 uh, extra life one up or whatever. Insert and, video game pun here. Yeah, exactly. Insert reoccurring line from a video game here. So this is our pilot episode. Uh, we've got our OG crew boys. So are we gonna do the uh, take a shot every time we say gamers? Gamer, 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 game. No, uh, no. That would kill everybody who played that game. <laughs> yeah. However, we will probably... I, I will play that game personally when we do Lord Dump. Um, but that's for a later episode. Lord Dump is a whole thing that we're going to get into, and I'll explain that when we do our Lord Dump episode. As well as we're going to do a series called The Good, The Bad, and The Low Poly, which is just going to be a casual rant episode that'll be based around a specific topic here and there. That's not important right now, because right now we're doing our pilot episode. And our pilot episode topic is our favorite video games. At least, currently. Yeah, uh, not in four months. Yeah. Dietz is adamant that uh, in four months, uh, Cyberpunk is 100% going on his list. He was actually mentioning earlier to me that he's already, as of right now, debating which of the five games he has on his favorite list is getting kicked off. It's true. <laughs> I need it's going on the list. I just need to know which one is getting kicked off. Well, uh, you you have time to figure out which one you're going to kick off, and then uh, you can tell me. Yeah. Um, but right I now, I think actually, Deets, why don't you kick us off? Yeah. Okay. Um, oh, uh, I should mention that we we got it down to a list of five, so we all picked our like top five. Yeah. Should I just rattle them all off or? Just go into one specifically for now. Uh, I think we probably do like one at a time back and forth. Yeah, okay. I think that um, probably would work best. I guess I'll start with Saints Row 4. Saints Row 4 is one of my favorite games. I really like games that are over the top. Uh, not, yeah, not just games. I like any form of medium games anime tv show movie whatever i love over the top anything and saints row 4 is just that's the definition of saints row 4 is just over the top um you got some stupid looking guns uh the dubstep gun the black hole gun uh there's the rectifier which is a stupid melee weapon oh god i forgot about that one yeah, rectifier is a thing. Oh, it, it, I, I actually have genuinely forgotten about that one. Uh, refresh my memory, because I haven't uh, played that game in it's, a couple it's years. The one, it's the one where they they shove something up a dude's butt, and then, oh, right. and then it's they like, explode like fireworks. Yeah, it's like the alien probe that the, 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 your, your character shoves up uh, people's butts. Yes. It doesn't just explode like fireworks. He fires them off. 
yeah. And then they explode like fireworks. You, you had a, you got a, it's like a musket. You got to prepare the, the barrel, <laughs> load the fireworks into their anus. Yeah. Oh, I, I guess this goes without saying, but this is a uh, podcast that's going to be vulgar and talk about things that are probably 18 plus. Uh, but also, if you're okay with swearing and vulgarity, we don't care what fucking age you are. I'm glad I we put that in after the, the butthole annihilator. <laughs> yeah, I think oh, with direct fire. I think me starting off with Saints Row 4 should have tipped them off on that. <laughs> yeah, if, 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 that's a, a fair assessment. And I, I guess also uh, a disclaimer now that I have them in my brain. Um, these are our opinions. <laughs> um, it's true. And we're entitled to our opinions as well as everyone is entitled to their own. So, like, no game is perfect. Um, and uh, someone might hate the game that you like, uh, who cares? Oh yeah. I mean, I can go off on all the things I also don't like about Saints Row 4, but yeah, the things that, that, I do like just so greatly outweigh them. Yeah. I think that's something that is good to have as a trait is like seeing something that's your favorite and still seeing negative sides and negative aspects of something. I was like, like gen- generally, yeah. Cause I could list off flaws with all the games that i have there but well why would i really like, i i think it's important to like notice the flaws in something so that yeah. you're not just those those are also the people who go this is my favorite game ever since the last game i played which was my favorite game ever <laughs> <laughs> um let's see there i talked about the, the weapons uh, um dialogue's pretty cool um it's got a lot of cool one-liners. I haven't actually... I've played some of Saints Row 2, but I've never played Saints Row 1. But even given all that, I still enjoy the fact that it like brings back a bunch of references from the old games. I'm not confident yeah. anyone's played Saints Row 1, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was actually about to comment on that. Uh, from, from my understanding, because I've also never played Saints Row 1 or 2, for that matter, but I have played a little bit of three and some of four most of four um i'm from from what i've heard like one and two were very much just gta clones to try and make profit off the fact that gta was really popular at the time so so one is just a strict gta clone like there's there's no beating around the bush on that it's just a gta clone two is where they started trying to be a little more kooky and crazy um and then three, they just went full on kooky crazy game. I and I think it's probably because due to the fact that the developers probably saw that their people enjoyed the game most when you could uh, do anything really. Yeah. And like I think um, Saints Row Four and GTA Five both came out like relatively near each other, like within a couple months. Um, and while GTA is like a much more like open world and more interactive world, it's it doesn't have the comedy factor that Saints Row does. You also can't throw a fireball. You also <laughs> well, not without cheats, but yeah, you cannot throw a fireball in GTA. If yeah. you cheat to throw a fireball in GTA, that's a tainted fireball. Yeah. That's true. Closest thing you can get to a fireball without cheating is like a Molotov or something. And that's just, it's not the same. It's It's not not the same as procedurally generating fire out of your hand. And I will fight anyone who says otherwise. Oh, speaking of throwing fireballs, there's, 
there's a few DLCs for Saints Row 4 that I really enjoy. Uh, one of which being uh, the Element of Destruction pack, which just adds an explosion element to every one of your superpowers. So you might think, oh, what's the difference between a fireball and an explosion ball? Well, the fireball is a fireball, and the explosion ball is a fireball that erupts into more fireballs. <laughs> yeah, that seems very Saints Row-esque. I imagine it makes the game like actually pretty... Does it make it easier? Yeah, I, I, yes. What I'm asking is the hard, the hard-hitting question here: Is Saints Row Four pay to win? <laughs> um, yes and no. Yes, it does make the game easier, but you still have like the same amount of, uh, for lack of a better term, mana. Hmm. So yes, it does more damage, but no, like you still have to, you still have to take into account how much mana you have. Okay, yeah, I, I suppose that makes sense. That I, I, I am glad that they added this kind of additional content in the sense of it, it, kind of how like a, um, uh, a first-person shooter or a third-person shooter or something would add like an extra gun into their game. That's kind of the same idea. Yeah. Um, but very on-brand with the, the Saints Row flavor. I think that's all I got on this game. Um, yeah, Jesse, you want to go next? Or you want me to go next? Yeah, let's do it. All right, go for it. So, uh, unlike what was said earlier, my opinions on the favorite video games ever are all facts. These are all the top five greatest video games of all time. <laughs> you cannot every, change my every, mind. Every list, every list, like IGN. This, this is the top top five, and it's same as Jesse. It is actually indisputable. I'm sorry, I don't make the rules. <laughs> that out of the way. Slight. I guess, I don't know, preamble to how my list works. There's four pretty solid set ones and then one that's going to kind of change out a lot. So this one, it's a little hard for me to really solidify and say this is one of my favorite games of all time. This is the most, my favorite game of all time right now because this can change and has changed sure. a bunch in the last few years. Uh, so I'm just going to go right now with Smash Ultimate. Um, Smash Ultimate is... I've had a long history with Smash, and I generally don't play a lot of multiplayer sort of games. I'm much more of a single-player focus kind of guy. And so I remember when Smash 4 came out, that was a game that had so... It had a lot of improvements from Brawl, the game that came before that, that I was, you know, I was ecstatic about. It, it had so many characters, but what it was missing was a, a good story mode, which was crushing. I would have killed to see like i remember the specific uh scene in mind was seeing something like pac-man interact with mario in a real cinematic way and you just didn't get that it's still a fun game but you don't get that so then smash ultimate comes out and oh hey we have a story mode kind of and that's realistically what puts it a little bit over four for me is that it does have a story mode it's quality varies but even beyond that, even beyond what World of Light is, just the fact that it does have every single character. They're continuing to add characters. It's the most fan service game I've ever played in my life, where you go through a character's classic mode, and if you know the character well enough, you go, I get this reference, I get this reference, I get this reference. You go through the spirits, I get all these references. You know, it's the biggest, it's been said before, but it's like the biggest love letter to video games as a medium ever. 
unless you're like Square Enix and refuse to give any <laughs> cool Final Fantasy shit. Yeah, we. Don't, oh, you guys got the music. That's all you need. Two songs. <laughs> the and music. Cloud. You got two. Yeah, you guys got Cloud. What else do you want? An English uh, translation for all of his lines? No. Listen, I'll, I'll sit on them all day, but, you know, hashtag sore for Smash 2021. It's coming. It's happening. <laughs> Bet on it. Even though, even though Disney outwardly said that it's not. No, shut up. Disney's liars. <laughs> yeah, Disney, one of the biggest corporations. Big lies. Uh, hell yeah. Uh, and just generally speaking, like I said earlier, I, don't, I do not really stick with multiplayer games that long. Smash is one of the exceptions. I have the most time on that game out of anything on my list by far uh more on that than i think anything else on my switch it, it's a game where a lot of that time is multiplayer but i want to have 200 hours in that game at least 80 of those hours is just me fucking around on my own because it's just fun for me to do that going through classic modes or going through the world of light or even just f- fucking around with testing characters or just playing random matches against no one against just a computer is still to this day so fun to me that i will regularly waste hours on it knowing i have other shit i need to do i will guaranteed waste hours in it it's also just like the one multiplayer game that i'm actually good at everything else i if i go on ranked or something or online i'm you know passable i got gold three or something in rocket league which is cool but in everything <laughs> else it's trash but in smash i've gotten to i've gotten to elite i've been in multiple tournaments i've won a handful of tournaments i'm actually good at that game and it is very legitimately because i just go into it so much just by sheer not even necessarily talent but sheer time i've spent in the game and that i understand it to that level to the level that not like sonic Hawks with dragon ball fighters or anything <laughs> yeah but to like to a relatively deep level because I just it's just a fun game to me. Fighting game or party game, I don't give a shit. It's good. It's a good game. I think I just I, I think I resold myself on this actually. Yeah. And I, I, I do I do enjoy you did just mention it just now where it's fighting game versus party game. Like players can you can play it both ways and it still feels like weirdly a different game but the same game at the same time and it's it's so nice um i did have a question um like because deets and i also both have smash and deets as far as i know you haven't really been playing it a whole lot as much and neither have i really and like i was enjoying the fighter pass release and like i was watching all the fighters get released and all that stuff and i loved them all um but my my main question is uh how do you like what? What drives you to keep coming back? Like, how do you keep spicing up your like variety is the spice of life and all that? Like, how how do you keep coming back to it? it? For me, it's very much just it's a very specific itch that it scratches. Um, I have a similar thing with Civilization, that franchise, where once or twice a year I'll just go, I need to play this exact thing right now, mm-hmm. where this offers something that there's that no other games really do. Civilization is a very specific game, as is Smash. There's no real fighting games like Smash. There's stuff like Brawlhalla, which is similar, but it lacks a lot of the it, history. Yeah, it, it's, it's got the, it doesn't have the Nintendo polish. 
the polish it doesn't have the history it doesn't have it doesn't have my history more than anything yeah like, that's Brawlhalla is Brawlhalla is a very fun game but it's not exactly what i want you also didn't what grow I'm familiar up, with yeah you didn't grow up playing Brawlhalla. exactly so smash just scratches that very specific itch but even beyond that i've actually i've uh at the risk of sounding like the lamest fucking person ever i make <laughs> sort of scenario i almost like make my own story mode right where i'll put i'll make matchups and figure and like almost fanfic it into reality as going like okay here's what happens to get to this point and it's 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 an avenue of storytelling so i i i do not feel like the lamest person on the earth because i i've done that but not in smash uh it's it's game that's not on my list but uh i've done that in uh anime fighting games more specifically i've done that in uh the the ultimate ninja storm the naruto series where like they they only they're they're weirdly segmented in game numbers and so like they you don't get all of the story each game you get like up to this arc and then up to that arc and like so i i bought the last one that has all the characters in it and i was just like let's just run through all the fights that happen in the entire canon of the anime so Uh you could be you could be me but like that and this will wind up being a recurring theme for a lot of my list but i'm very very interested in stories delivered through gameplay and through video games and so down to the point where i will play smash and i'll make up shit for myself because it's just i just enjoy the thought process and i enjoy that sort of and again because smash is just this huge stupid crossover of every video game character you could basically think of including ones you didn't know existed just (laughs) making that up like i would make i I would sit down and i would make teams i go okay it makes sense for these characters to be together like it makes sense for pac-man and game watch to be a team it makes sense for these two fire emblem characters to be a team and then gets like a little bit weird with it It was like i like the idea of zelda and pikachu as a team because they're i just I, i like that dynamic for some reason yeah because uh, in the in the the brawl story mode, that's kind of what they did. Where they would they would just kind of throw some of these characters that you know or don't know and put them together, and it's just like, well, now you're playing through this like little segmented story with because uh, you mentioned Pikachu. It made me think of the uh, Zero Suit Samus and Pikachu. Yeah, brawl had the Samus and Pikachu bit, so it would do it would do the stuff where you'd have characters who make sense to go together, like. It would have at some point you get Mario and Link together, which of course you do. They're the t- top mascots of Nintendo. Mm. And then later down, but then later down the line, you get that weird shit like Samus and uh, Pikachu or uh, Fox McCloud and Diddy Kong. And that's just the sort of brawl in general was a crazy fever dream that I'm not convinced was real because it has no right to be. But mm. coming coming down the line and seeing, oh, I could fight, I could fight Pac Man against Sonic against Cloud. Against Richter, what the <laughs> hell is this game? The I, I I did actually remember seeing a uh, a picture that was um, show this to anybody in 2010 and they will not believe you. And it was like Banjo and Kazooie, Mario, uh, fucking Terry, Cloud, all, like all of the characters yeah. on the roster that you would never have expected to be on the roster on there. Yeah, no, it's it's stupid. You bring but... up Terry actually reminded me of something that uh, t- I had no idea who Terry was before he was announced. And yeah, you and most other people. Yeah, 
yeah, exactly. That, that also uh, reminded me that when I first started playing Smash, my first game was Brawl, and then I played the others. Um, I didn't know who like most of the characters were in Brawl. I knew I knew Mario, I know DK, and I knew Pikachu. I think that was it. I didn't know who Kirby was. I didn't know who any of the Fire Emblem guys were. Yeah. Smash is good at, and Deets, I, I agree with your point, where it they, they give you a character you probably have never heard of, or if... And who knows with the generation underneath us, because we're in our early 20s, so we kind of grew up with most of these characters. Um, but like some people probably never grew up with some of the like original kind of stuff. And uh, I think brawl uh, brawl uh, smash lends itself to introducing people to new characters and then also having them learn about them either through like that. That is one thing I don't actually know in the newest smash. Do they still have that like trophy system where you can read facts about the trophies about the characters and stuff or no, it's actually very upsetting, especially considering how sort of off the wall. A lot of the characters wind up being. Yeah. Yeah. You, you like, I, I, I could imagine they could have done that with the, uh, the spirits. That was something I really, yeah, it's pretty much just like little blurbs and loading screens from what I remember. Yeah. Dude. Uh, it was, um, I remember in Melee mostly because I always hear that music playing in my head when I read the, the trophy descriptions. Mm-hmm. I, I, I can totally get uh, behind Smash. It was probably my favorite fighting game, or sorry, close to my favorite fighting game uh, of the past decade. Like, it is phenomenal. It's in my top two fighting games. It's in my top three, unfortunately. <laughs> Uh, Ultimate Marvel vs. Capcom 3 still holds a spot in my heart, and uh, Dragon Ball Fighter Z, oh, so good. But I guess I'll go to my list now. None of those games made it on this list, unfortunately. I felt terrible leaving those off because I love those games, and I love a lot of the games that I didn't pick. But I decided on these five, and I'll start with the first one that I have here, which is Fallout New Vegas. Oh man, where do I even start with Fallout New Vegas? So if you don't know anything about the Fallout series, get out from your vault. I got it. Um, I get it. Yeah, there, there's, there's a reference there. <laughs> uh, <laughs> thank you for both getting it. Um, it's a post-apocalyptic uh, wasteland of the United States. Specifically, uh, the various games play, take place in different states. So Fallout 3 takes place in the uh, D.C. area, uh, like Maryland and all that. Um, 4 takes place in... Oh, I couldn't tell you. I haven't played four in so long, and Boston. I don't remember any Boston. Thank you. You would know. Would know. Yeah. <laughs> the only reason I know that is because one of the DLCs is Far Harbor, which I kept hearing people refer to as Far Harbor. Far Harbor. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's right. Okay, I, I remember that now. And the uh, New Vegas, if you couldn't tell by the name, takes place in Nevada, in the Nevada area, specifically around Vegas in that general area. I, first off, I just got to mention like the 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 scene that they plant for you when you start up. Like they put you in a little cinematic, and like you're you're going through it, and you're you're seeing all of the different like factions and stuff warring, all the raiders on like what's going on, what happens on a daily basis, and then it starts you out in like a first person view, about to get shot in the face by some random guy you have no idea anything about, which is perfect for 
an RPG type thing where they they don't go, oh, you're the fabled hero. How do you not know who I am? And it's like, well, my I, I haven't played this before yet. Like you might know it if you have played it before. And sure, maybe that takes away some replayability or whatever. But I I personally love that it just kind of drops you in right as soon as you start. Um, and writing this like beautiful setting of this like <laughs> I say beautiful uh, post apocalyptic desert wasteland. Beautiful for its time. Yeah, it was beautiful for its time. And I I don't mean beautiful in the sense of looks pristine and great and perfect because the game will never look that way. Like I, I know how as, as much as people like mod the game to have like those enhanced graphics and all that, it's never going to look that way. And I personally like it that way because it adds to the post-apocalypticness. And I, I don't know. I, I, I just personally like the setting immediately as soon as you start it up. Um, and then the story is just plain and simple. You got shot, find out who shot you and why they shot you. Then you just pursue the the story as you go. And as typical RPG fashion, you can walk into places and get other quests from other people and so on and so forth. I also personally love that this is one of those games that has lore hidden like everywhere. Like (laughs) we we're doing a series called lore dump at some point later on in one of the series of episodes. And I, I personally just love learning about like, if it, it, I, I love that they hire teams to write things like um, how they did with Skyrim, like in Skyrim, they hired a team literally just uh, there to write books and every book is unique. And like, yeah, and I can go have... off on that. I, I do know that there's like a, an actual insane amount of books, like unique books in Skyrim, including a handful of full plays. Yeah. That are written like plays. That are written as I think there's some people who have, who have gone and enacted those plays from just what's in the the, the game itself. That's the the fact that someone put that much effort into like a game, specifically just into like a book or into the like the I I, I love that they hire teams to do lore. I'm I'm the person that goes and reads every little like document and fucking stuff like that just to see what they've put into this like what they've worked on and put into the game like i'm a huge fan of that and so new vegas does that amazingly like you can you you get like the background knowledge of pretty much like you you get you can read terminals you can read notes and like letters and extra little things on your uh, your pit boy and it tells you all about like the area like what started the wars how it got to this point how these factions formed why these factions formed I, I i just i love that i love the story it's just i i, I mentioned it it's just they drop you in you just go but like i guess spoilers ish um it, it drops you in and you pick one of four major factions to work for where you can work for basically all of the billionaires mixed with like Zuckerberg and stuff like that. Like all, all of those people mixed into one person in a human AI suit, the Caesar's Legion, which is problematic 
to say the least, but aggressive and know their tactics of war, which could be why you pick them. And then the NCR, which are very uh, diplomatic. And that's why Caesar's Legion and the NCR are constantly working against each other. And the NCR stands for uh, the New California Republic. So there are people from California that are truly slowly trying to drift in their way into Nevada, which I think is just a nice little touch. And then if you don't like any of them, which I, I who could blame you, um, then you pick the fourth one, which is just yourself here to cause chaos. Oh, I work for me. Yeah, I work for me and me alone. Uh, and you get very. I I always appreciate faction warfare in games. Yeah, not not a lot of games actually do it very well. It's always like you have these competing factions, but ultimately you'll just like go and fight this one, and then you'll go and fight this one. There's never a really good crossfire. Yeah, I I always find that it's oftentimes all right. You're fighting for this one. Oh, th- th- this one just did this though. Do you still want to be working for them? Like, uh, I feel like this one you go in. Full, knowing full well what each faction is offering. Hey, hey, Jake. Yeah, what's uh, up? Not to, um, not to derail the subject, but I'm going. To. No, go ahead. Um, there's a, there's a, there's a neat little game coming out in about four months called Cyberpunk 2077. I hate <laughs> you so much. <laughs> I hate. Now you. listen. No, it can't be on your list. No, I'm not. I'm not saying that. I'm, no, it's on your list. <laughs> no, I'm just saying there's factions in that game, and while the game is not out yet, and I cannot say anything for sure, uh, it seems as though there's going to be some very nice faction wars in that game. Deets, Deets, I'm looking at my list. The words they're changing. Fallout New Vegas. It, it, it's it's gone. It's it's cyberpunk it's you, you have no control over it now. The letters oh. are scrambling as we speak. <laughs> CD Projekt actually hacked this podcast. The the yeah the the V slowly in Vegas turns to a C. I don't know why. It's like, it's it's just like Tom Marvolo Riddle turning into Voldemort. <laughs> My, <laughs> now I'm just visualizing the the NCR Ranger taking off his mask and he's just Voldemort. <laughs> oh. Or no, it actually better. Takes the mask off, it's just Keanu Reeves. <laughs> um uh final note. Um the gameplay's great, like the VAT system is perfect, but like I mean, it was great from three. And uh Easter eggs. It has some of if not the funniest Easter eggs I've ever seen in video games. Like they're not methodical, they're just kind of there and like they put it in a perk. You don't even have to have like you could play a game serious, no no Easter eggs, no funny references, none of that. I don't want any of that. You but it's a perk that you can select at the beginning of the game when you're making your character called Wild Wasteland that just throws Easter eggs at you sometimes. And it's just references to like fucking Monty Python and like there's there's an Indiana Jones reference and like, oh look, here's that, and here's a reference here. And I you get it in dialogue even sometimes, and I think that's just hilarious. Yeah, I really um, like when games do Easter eggs, not only like in the world that you just find, but also in dialogue. Uh, all right, want to go back to the top of the lineup from there? That would be me. That would be you. All right, well, so I think this is a good segue, not from Fallout, but from an earlier discussion. Uh, Jake, you were talking about Fire Emblem. 
Yes. I happen to I have will. Fire Emblem Awakening on my list. I see. Yeah. Uh, well, you see, Fire Emblem Awakening uh, not only is one of my favorite games, also was the first strategy game I ever played and finished. Uh, I say that hmm. because the first strategy game I ever played was actually Civilization Four, but I was a stupid baby and I couldn't get past <laughs> the first area. Gandhi kept killing you. No, it wasn't even that. I just didn't know how to do anything. Like, I was in a black room. There were two people, like, mining the ground or something. And my dumb kid brain just goes, what do I do? So I... Yeah, that sounds like the first-person experience with Civ. Yeah. So I just never played Civ again after that. Although, now that I have Civ 6, I may give it a shot again. But anyway, this is about Fire Emblem. So yeah, Fire Emblem uh, Awakening specifically was the first strategy game I played and finished. And the tutorial in that, let me just start off with that. The tutorial is so newbie-friendly. Like, I went in knowing nothing about strategy games. Like I didn't know, oh, you had to place your units here, and each unit has specific attacks they can do. I didn't know any of that. But the tutorial just teaches you that very nicely. At one point, even, this is in, like, not even in the tutorial, but in, like, chapter three or something, it, the game is, like, teaching you, oh, if, uh, if one player, like, or if one unit doesn't have any weapons, you can, like, trade weapons with another unit. And the game was trying to teach me that by giving one unit no weapons and giving another unit an axe. And it was trying to say, like, all right, have this unit give the other unit the axe. But because I was still new to strategy games at that time, I just didn't do that. And then in chapter four, I go, wait, why doesn't this unit have any weapons? And then I learn how to trade. So the game teaches you very well. And apart from that, the game also has a very nice story. I really liked the whole... I, I'm all about time shenanigans, so... I know some people are not into that, but I really enjoy things that involve time. Uh, so spoilers if you haven't played Awakening, uh, but there's time travel involved, kinda, not really, but kinda. Well, now I can't play because <laughs> I just I I uh, time messes with my brain way kinda. too much. Kinda, it's like there's not really time travel. No one travels in time, but all your children are. Uh, from the future, and that's how they're, like, in their 20s when you meet them. Right, now, I was confusing... I I'm not super uh, familiar with Fire Emblem stuff, but I do know certain things. And I wasn't... I don't remember if it was Awakening or Fates that has the baby dimension. The baby? Uh, that is Awakening, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Do you care, care to explain that a bit? So, so your units can marry, right? And uh, Awakening actually only allowed opposite-sex marriage, but starting with Fates, they introduced same-sex marriage. So, yay, pride. Yeah, so when, when two units marry, they just automatically have a kid. And that kid, because, you know, because every, the whole continent is in war, uh, the parents don't want their kid to die. So 
<laughs> they send their baby into the baby dimension, which I forget the actual name of right now, but I'm going to call it the baby dimension now. So they send their kid into the baby dimension where they just train on their own for who knows how long. And then eventually they either say, hey, where are my parents? And then they like actively seek out the exit to the dimension. Or they just stumble across the exit and they end up in the, the so-called real world. And then they meet up with their parents. And that's what all the... Um, so there's side quests in the game that you can do to uh, recruit more units or to farm gold or whatever. And some of those side quests are specifically to recruit your children. I appreciate the idea of keeping war in the family. <laughs> <laughs> if you had to keep anything. Yeah. Oftentimes the, uh, the, the child is actually better than the parents uh, in terms of stats and whatnot. I, I do like that, that it allows it, the next generation to be even stronger. Now, now I do have to ask. I and I I know this because I'm asking this because I know this already. But um, you you have played other Fire Emblems, right? I've played all the ones on the 3DS, and I've played one of the four routes in uh, Three Houses. Okay, so why why Awakening over the other ones? Over uh, over the other ones I've played, you mean, right? Yeah. yeah. Th- sorry. Yeah, that's what I meant. Yeah. Well, so. <laughs> So there's a few things. Um, Awakening over Fates. So there's a few things I do like about Fates that are not in Awakening. One of which is kind of debatable. You you either like it or you don't. In Fates, they introduced non-breakable weapons. So like, as soon as you get an iron sword or even a silver sword or whatever, you just have it. It doesn't break ever. Awakening has some durability to the weapons, so you have to like constantly either repair or buy your weapons. And that's like either you either like it or you don't. I am kind of neutral on that. The reason I like Awakening more than Fates, because Corrin in Fates is just the worst main character ever. Oh, uh-oh, dates. T- t- oh. I'm I'm pulling the collar. I'm letting the steam fly out. You gotta, you gotta. Watch what you say. You might you might upset some. Uh, I, I realize I might upset some people, but Corin, you're but, totally valid. What I, do you I, have I, against feet? <laughs> <laughs> I I I would have thought you of all people, Deets, would like that he can turn himself into a dragon. <laughs> see, oh, I thought that was going somewhere else. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I thought I you thought of all people, Deets, would like feet. Hey, wait a minute. <laughs> Hey, wait a minute. Let's not let's not let's not label me with things I'm not. Uh, the Tales from the Hub World <laughs> subtitle: Deets likes feet. Hey, wait a minute. No. <laughs> oh, welcome to the canon of things you can't scrub from the internet. <laughs> uh, no, no, no. Please, please tell us why, why, why do you not like Corrin, even though he can turn himself into a dragon, listen, which is like the the dragon thing. Really cool. I really like the dragon thing. Uh, it's not as cool as uh, Noe from Awakening because she turns into an actual dragon and not just an Arceus lookalike. But no, uh, aside from him turning into a dragon, and some people may like this, I do not like goody-goody characters. 
Corn Corn is just the embodiment of, hey guys, let's all be friends and let's go win the game and save the day, okay? Whereas in Awakening, you have technically there's two main characters. There's Crom and Robin, and both of them are like more realistic, I guess. They like they both know, yeah, we're fighting a war. Some people are gonna die. We gotta stop the bad guy. So that would be my reasoning against Fates. Uh, the reason I don't like Echoes, which is the one that came after Fates. Also, it's a remake of one of the old NES games or something. It's, yeah, uh, the NES one was Shadows of Valentia or something. And Echoes is a remake of that. Anyway, the reason I don't like Echoes, there's reasons I like and dislike Echoes. Echoes introduced a lot of cool things, mainly the dungeon system, where they like actually put you into a third-person perspective and you actually go and explore a dungeon. Main reason I didn't like Echoes is because they use the original system for magic back from, like, the NES days, uh, which is magic costs health. And I'm... You guys know me. I'm a heavy magic user. Um, So the fact that I had to use my health to cast magic, I didn't really like that. That's... Kind of the only reason I didn't like Echo. So every character was just a warlock? Yes. Every, well, every magic using character was a warlock. That's wacky. Yeah. I don't know about that one. <laughs> um, now, the only reason I say Three Houses is not my favorite is because I haven't played the full game yet, and I can't make an accurate argument for it. Teets, it's been like almost a year. You don't understand, Jesse. I put over 100 hours just, in, just into one path. There's three more paths. Well, and DLC. And DLC. But I, if I did play all the paths in Three Houses, I think that might be my favorite. Just because it's like a really good combo of old school and new school Fire Emblem. Where like you have some of the good things from old school. Like uh, archers can actually shoot from more than two spaces away. It's just that the farther you are, the weaker the shot. And then you have stuff from New School, like magic doesn't cost health. And except for certain weapons, there is... Weapons either have or don't have durability. It kind of depends on the weapon. Also, it's got that whole third-person JRPG style. Well, I, thought, I remember seeing a lot of people say that the uh, monastery bits are basically just Persona. Yeah. Yeah, it kind of is. But no, yeah, I'd like... Um, just having played the uh, monastery parts in Three Houses, I feel as though I would like Persona. It's just, I know Persona is like a really long game and it's yeah. like time-based and I don't want to get into that right now. Yeah. There's just no time for all this. <laughs> uh, all right, Jesse, you want to give us your second? Yeah, so there's not really a good segue into this uh, because we're about to segue into sad times, but my second favorite game, I'm not doing this in order. The second on yeah, my list. I, I, I wasn't either, I don't think. Second on my list is The Walking Dead Season 1. Oh. Um, that, so when I mentioned earlier, Smash Ultimate is far and wide the only game on this list that is on that list for entirely gameplay merits. Because that's just a fun-ass game. The rest of my games are, I consider fun, but are mostly there for story purposes. Except for like one other one, I guess. Walking Dead Season 1, I don't really play point-and-clicks ever, quite frankly. 
or those sort of old school adventure games like uh, mm-hmm. what is it, Tales of Monkey Island or oh yeah, uh, Monkey uh, the the Quest of Monkey Island and yeah. uh, the King's Quest. Yeah, 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 like those kind of games aren't really my jam. Walking Dead is one of those, but different enough for me to enjoy it. But more than anything, the story of it is what gets me. This might actually be the first game, or it's certainly one of the first games that I remember act- uh, breaking me as a human being. Oh, I, I, I could not agree with you more. I, down to, I remember the exact time and place where I beat it. Because I was, so me originally playing through this series, it's, you know, it's an episodic series. And I would take about two sessions to beat one episode. So probably like two nights in a row, let's say. I'll play half and play another half. And I got through the first four episodes like that. The fourth episode ends on a cliffhanger. And so I go, well, I really want to play the fifth episode because I want to see where this goes. Unfortunately, unfortunately, I had to go visit some family for uh, a couple of days. I think I was there for maybe like four or five days. So I bring all my shit there. This is a long trip, like several hours out of state, that kind of visiting my family trip. Yeah. yeah. So I, I do that. And there's about maybe I have an hour of downtime randomly at one point during this trip. And I go, let me let me start. Let me start episode five just to like kind of see where this is leading because it could just shit the bed. Uh, this was kind of early in the episodic game, not genre, but before it got really big when a bunch of games started doing it episodically. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't exactly common for games to just kind of crap themselves at the very end. But I recognized as as a possibility. So I just go, let me just put an hour into this and then I'll just play the rest later. I spend the next six hours playing through episode five and then just kind of feeling bad about episode five. (laughs) And so I play through it. I beat it in one sitting. The only one of those episodes I did that with. And I remember vividly and hearing the song that plays in the credits destroyed me completely and entirely the song is take us take us back by alayla diane so i hear that song and the game you know cuts to the title screen and i just kind of sit there for a, for a bit and then I, I close the game or i go onto youtube and i find the song and i listen to the song four more times in a row and i am i'm shitty when it comes to reacting to certain sad things i don't really cry all that much but i can tell you with certainty internally i was ruined and this lasted for a full week. It was, the, it was the kind of thing where I would legitimately every day for the next seven days, I would wake up and go, damn, that shit really happened. And just be yeah. upset. There is, this is unique. This is unique in my list of games. But this is also unique in all of media in general that I've ever consumed. If, I could think I could count on one hand the amount of stories that have impacted me in that, such, in that kind of way. Where I would, I could, even far removed from it, by months, by years, I could think back and still feel the exact same feelings as I did when I first, when I first experienced it. And those feelings are just sad. It's, it's feel bad time, you know, feel bad story of the year. But it just, it was so visceral. Was, I, was, I didn't talk much to my family for the rest of that trip. And then when I came home, I remember sitting in my room, basically staring at the floor, just like, Fuck, dude, because it just hit me so it hit me like a truck. Yeah, no, that that ending it hit a lot of people. Uh, yeah. I I just don't think a lot of people were prepared. To to this day, there's very few things that have affected me in that way. 
Uh, I think the the next game I'm going to talk about has a similar sort of effect, but it's it's different. It's, I don't know. It's different. Walking Dead season one, upsettingly, is the peak of that the, the peak of that franchise. Yeah, unfortunately, but it's such a crazy peak that I'm not even all that upset about it. Yeah, uh, and it's actively good enough for me to ignore how bad the subsequent two games are and continue buying them. It's basically what a Sonic fan feels like for their entire life. <laughs> Yeah, I, I I could not agree with you more. That the fifth episode alone, you would think a finale carries so much weight, and it because it, it doesn't stop. It doesn't. Either. It's hit after hit after hit after hit, which is probably why I played it all in one sitting. I'm like, I can't stop here because one thing leads right into another. It's paced very very well, and this is what I mean when I talk about a video game story. It's not a story that happens to be told through a video game. It is a story that can only be told through a video game. The Walking Dead season one is a story in which all of your connection, all of your connection to every character is based on what you want. How close you get to anyone, especially Clementine is reliant on you. It's really, you know, it's within, it has to be restricted by the bounds of a video game. So certain things are going to happen no matter what your choices are. But you will have those, you'll have little moments. Like, I remember in episode, I think, two, you have a very small amount of food to give out amongst, like, ten people. And you don't, the game does not force you to give food to any individual person. You can give it to whoever you want. But if you go up to Clementine and you give her an apple, she's like, she has the most, the brightest, happiest reaction to that. And that's something that just kind of, like, sticks with you in your brain. The game tells you Clementine will remember this, but realistically, you're going to remember this. Yeah. Because yeah. it's just a nice, sweet little moment. Yeah, even, even just the faces that they show, whether they're happy or mad or whatever, you can, you can tell what they're feeling. Yeah, yeah. you got to give uh, a massive credit to the, the voice cast. And, and since, like, you mentioned Lee and Clementine, like, Dave Fenoy and uh, Melissa Hutchinson, they're, yeah. they're, they're phenomenal. They, like, Lee remains one of my, a very, uh, a very high, I, I'll call him a high-ranking favorite character of mine, just because he is, he is very dynamic, and not just because you can play him in different ways, but because even if you just kind of go by, here's how I think Lee would act, he, he is three-dimensional, he's a person, he's a, he's a guy who I can just imagine, there's this, it's such a throwaway thing that he's a history teacher, but it comes up enough, it doesn't actually matter, but it's just a fun, stupid little thing. And so seeing all the trials and tribulations they go through, seeing both of them, Clementine's a little girl, but she still has her own goals. She has like one goal, but still, seeing that seeing that come to a head in the last episode, followed by the next five trucks that you're about to get hit by, is just, it really is, like, I said it as a joke earlier, but it really is one of the, it was the feel-bad game of that year. Yeah. I, think, I want to say it came out like 2012. Think that's right, or, or 2012 or 2013, one of those two, or like finished coming out in 2012. I don't remember. Yeah, yeah. And it's just, it's weird to like praise something so much that makes you feel bad. But the more I think about it, a lot of things I enjoy make me feel bad. So maybe that's just a <laughs> thing. That's something you might need to go and talk to someone about. Nah, I gotta get feelings <laughs> somewhere. You know. I guess I should move on to my second game. This one's probably gonna be a short one, just because. I tried to do a little bit of research on this beforehand. I tried to do a little bit of research on all of them. Um, and um, a lot of it's just base memory. But this one is just nowhere. 
you can't find it anywhere um so much so that i i couldn't even find the the voice actors for most of the cast of the game it's funny because i I feel like i recognize a couple voices here and there um but the game i'm going to talk about is uh jade cocoon 2 what's jake what's jake cocoon 2 hey jake what's jake cocoon 2 hey jake what's fern goalie that doesn't exist you idiot jade cocoon 2 is a jrpg made by genki studios which i as far as i know does not exist anymore but was localized for uh everywhere else in the world by ubisoft uh in 2001 it was a ps2 Uh, game that is not the name i expected in that sentence but okay (laughs) yeah no i it's weird to to start the game up and see the ubisoft logo and it's the original like ubisoft logo Mm. yeah uh, and it's a sequel game to fig- Go Figure, Jade Cocoon, which I was given two, never given one. And I played it and it, it's. How to describe this game? It's as if Pokemon and Digimon had a baby with one another. And then that baby fused together and made Monster Hunter babies as well. It's weird. It's peculiar. And it's it's that's that's what I think I love about it is that it's just like this weird hidden gem. So why do I like it is what I should probably talk about. I like it because it's just so unique and it you, you weirdly you don't have to play the first one to know any of the stuff because they explain all of it in plain English right in front of you. And like, sure, if you played the first one, you could be like, I know that character. That was the main character of the first game. Oh, that that's a character that returned. But like, I, I read this on the wiki. Uh, there's like five lines of things that return from the, the original game. And that's it. Everything else is brand new. All of the uh, weird like creatures that you can keep called divine beasts. You keep them in a little like. Uh, circular motion. You keep spinning your wheel to keep throwing out different attacks based on what side you're on. Uh, there's four elemental sides. There's fire, wind, water, earth. And they all have different various ways to attack. Like, earth can do uh, damage that cuts things in half or neutralizes attack or uh, stuff like that, or, or builds barriers. Water can do, like, mana damage. It can do healing and stuff like that. Wind does mostly, like, status effects and stuff like that. And fire is mostly just, like, the hard-hitting stuff. And you can build around any type of element, any type of divine beast. You can put any divine beast on any tile, as long as it's not the opposite of what their natural tile is. So you can't put a water guy on a fire tile, and you can't put a fire guy on a water tile. And so on and so forth. But... It allows for a lot of variance, and that means you get to see all of these different like creatures, which is another huge selling point for me. I read this somewhere. I couldn't find it after I researched uh, a couple days ago, but I read somewhere that these creatures were drawn and rendered by members of Studio Ghibli. Shut up. Really? Now, I, I can't tell you if that's true or not, because, again... I found nothing about it because, again, I tried to research this game and there's almost nothing. Like, I think I'm one of the, like, maybe 500 to 1,000 people that played it on the face of the earth. Uh, So you say that, but I looked and a lot of game critics gave it pretty high praise, all, all things considered. So you have to take into account the fact that it came out and there are 
game critics that were reviewing it and giving it good scores. So people probably bought it off that. But for beating it, I feel like I'm probably one of the few thousand. But I I, I guess mother, another couple minor details. Uh, the voice acting is pretty solid, if albeit cheesy. It's very got some very cheesy lines here and there. But that's to be expected from JRPGs, I think. And then I just I'm in love with the music. There's not that many tracks, but like there is a fair amount of ambient music that is in the game that just you don't it it does what ambient music should do, which is you don't notice it, which I, I think it blends nicely with the scenery. It makes you feel like you're in this disgusting, dank forest or this like beautiful but still disgusting and dank other forest or like this or that it's it's phenomenal the the music direction's great uh the art style's great all of the divine beasts have different variations and they all have four forms so they can keep evolving and evolving and evolving and divine beasts sound familiar to me i don't know i feel like it's probably used in other instances it's used in zelda ah fucking that's right oh it's all my i'm stupid Nintendo, you bankrupt Jade Cocoon! <laughs> no. So, Deets. Hello. What is your third game? Third one, uh, I guess. Well, continuing the trend of JRPGs, Pokemon Platinum. Now, I now now Deets. I'm a I'm a Jade Cocoon two boy. What the hell is this here, Pokemon? What's a Pokemon? <laughs> what is a Pokemon? Well, another one of them Digimon ripoffs. Yes. Ugh. It's also a Jade Cocoon ripoff. It's also I knew it. Uh, it's also uh, potentially a Yu-Gi-Oh ripoff. Uh, but Pokemon, for for those who are uninformed of the highest grossing uh, franchise media franchise ever, ever, Pokemon is a game where you collect pocket monsters, hence the term Pokemon. Oh, yeah, and then you, you you capture them in little balls, and then you put them in your pocket. Sounds now, easy. Peter Peter told me that's bad. Yeah, well, Peter <laughs> explain to me why this is good. Peter, well, first of all, Peter says a lot of things. Do you do that? <laughs> and second of all, this one specifically, Platinum Pokemon Platinum. Well, the reason I like it is one because it's part of Generation Four, which was the one that I started with. And so I like it the most because of that. But Platinum is also the most refined of the three Gen 4 games, which are Pearl, Diamond, and Platinum. I started with Pearl, and then I got Platinum, and it's just a strict upgrade from Pearl. So Platinum, there's not much to say about, like, the gameplay, because, like, every Pokemon game is the same. You, you have, you know, you have your Pokemon, you have your battles, you have HMs for, for the most part. It's just something about the Sinnoh region. I just really like the Sinnoh region. There's games like Hoenn. Hoenn is a really nice region. I just, I'm going to sound like IGN here, but I really disliked the amount of surfing I had to do there. <laughs> Too much water. Coward. Kyogre would be very disappointed. Yeah, I was always a Groudon boy. Ooh. Yeah. Um, then there's... Uh, Let's see, before that, uh, Gold, Silver, Crystal. Eh, I like them. And uh, I don't want to talk about Red and Blue. Oh, oh, uh, Deets, are you sure? sure. I'm sure. Let's... He's like an anti-Gen 1. Hey, I actually am. <laughs> There's so much Gen 1 in the current Gen that I want it to stop. I want them to stop catering. 
Never. But it makes too much money. Uh, you you know they won't know because they won't. it's 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 the fi- it's the figureheads. Yeah. Like the it's weird to say, but the entire first generation Pokemon are like the figureheads of Pokemon. Like, okay, I get I get Pikachu and I get Eevee because like they have whole games based about them. I'm fine with those. But like Charizard, uh, Meowth, I don't know, Mewtwo. That's enough. Stop it. Get some help. Deets, I have a number for you. 16 million. <laughs> All right. You think they're going to stop? No. Must be out your damn mind. No. So, yes. Uh, what, what makes platinum? Like, right. Yeah. Other so, than. Yeah. Well, so, like, going back into the center region, there's, there's a lot of places. I guess specifically Mount Coronet is one of my favorite uh, areas in the entire game because it's actually a puzzle and for a kid like as an adult yeah you could probably get through mount coronet pretty easily but as a kid i was stuck on mount coronet for a good while took me a while but then i finally got to spear pillar and i felt such accomplishment so i guess that's why platinum is my favorite for one the region and two the uh nostalgia slash accomplishment i got from it so i guess jesse you want to move on to your third game yeah that's me so i yeah i kind of mentioned in the last one but we're gonna keep we're gonna keep with the 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 feel bad sort of uh theme it'll get better later i promise but my third game is the last of us you'll notice a theme here that all my games are all very critically acclaimed darlings i'm very unoriginal leave me alone so the last of us actually has it winds up having a lot of similarities with dead not just because it's a sort of zombie apocalypse scenario going on, but because of the relationship of Joel and Ellie in contrast to Lee and Clementine. It's got this sort of father-daughter thing going on, but I would say in The Walking Dead, it's built up as a much more hopeful, caring thing, whereas in The Last of Us, it's got a lot more darker connotations to it. The Last of Us in general is a very dark game, a lot of bad things happen in that game. Very upsetting. It's not a game. It's it's like Requiem for a Dream. And you'd be like, oh, that was a good movie. Yeah. I never want to watch that again in my life. Yeah. The Last of Us is similar. And a lot of a big, one of the big criticisms of The Last of Us is the gameplay, but I actually quite enjoyed it. I enjoy that sort of survival, stealth, action kind of gameplay. But the story in general has so many just upsetting beats that I'm not super sure if I would go through it again. And I say that eagerly awaiting The Last of Us 2, which is supposedly much darker. And in another similarity to The Walking Dead, how the ending stuck with me. But for different reasons. The Walking Dead Season 1 was a very sad ending. But I can just say that it was sad. And it's kind of... It it doesn't get much more complicated than that. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. But it is that sort of one individual feeling. The Last of Us' ending stuck with me and continues to stick with me for much more complicated reasons. It, I, it, may, it upsets me, but it also makes me mad at a character. And I think, maybe not uniquely, but at least for me, mad at a character who I played as for, what, 20 hours? The idea that you can do this, that you can have... Like, when you're playing a character, you insert yourself into them, right? You, that character kind of becomes you, or you are the, con- the character's conduit for your actions in the game. And a lot of people wind up having this sort of problem of well i the the character like my joel wouldn't do that 
my Joel wouldn't do this thing that Joel in the game did. But then that's sort of the problem, right? Where that's not your Joel. That's Joel. That's him as a character. And part of me really likes the idea of a character being character and not being you, but with their skin. The Walking Dead is very much your choices of how this character acts matters more than in The Last of Us, where it is a more, it is a straighter line. But that leads to events like in the ending, when Joel does what I would consider a unquestionably scumbag thing, and you just have to deal with that. Not only do you have to deal with that, you have to continue on with it. If you want to play this video game, you have to keep doing this bad, this objectively bad thing that Joel is doing. You have to do that. That's your choice at this point. So, so now you are, now this is you. Because The Last of Us is just, Joel is Joel. There's nothing you can do to change that. And there's no timeline bullshit to alter that. He makes these decisions and they remain. There's nothing you can do about it. And they're bad decisions. They are bad decisions. But the problem is you understand them. And that's what I mean when I, when I say it leaves you with complicated feelings. I am mad at Joel. I'm mad at Joel for dooming humanity single-handedly, literally single-handedly dooming the future of humanity. I'm mad at him for lying about it to Ellie, who at this point is probably the only person he has left, and vice versa, he's the only person she has left. I'm mad at him for doing this, but I get it. And these are the seeds laid at the very beginning of, this, of the game where Joel lost a daughter. He lost something very important in his life and has for 20 years tried to fill that hole and feel a sense of normalcy. And suddenly he has that, and suddenly it's almost getting taken away, and he can't deal with that. He cannot deal with that, and he will try and justify his actions in any way, shape, or form. Joel's a bad person. There is no getting around that. But you get it. He is a complex character. And I, I harp on this a lot. I harp on characters. I harp on story. These are things I, I enjoy greatly. These are oftentimes more than gameplay itself. What attracts me to video games is the, the long-form stories they provide. Like The Walking Dead Season 1, that story couldn't work outside of a video game. The Last of Us kind of can. But that level, it's, it's just an enjoyable game for that level of interaction, which does get you a little more attached to the character. Because being able to control them as opposed to watch them is still, a, it's, that's another layer of immersion. You can get that with, it's just, Troy Baker's acting in that is phenomenal. It's a lot. There's a documentary, plenty of behind the scenes footage. There's a wealth of content from the actual shooting, the creating yeah, the, the of the Last of Us game. Right? the mocap scenes yeah and it really is crushing like if there's a scene where there's characters crying the actors are losing it oh yeah yeah i it's very well acted it's very well written it's very well done everything about it is very well i'm very excited for the last of us too i almost regret doing this episode not a month later because (laughs) there's a very strong chance unless you know there's always a chance shits the bed but if it doesn't Less of us could two could easily replace one. All right, I guess I'll move on to my third. <laughs> so <laughs> my third, I, I'm just I'm just laughing because I'm segueing from such a, a a fucking bombshell of a game, like one that hits you on all different levels. Uh, my game is Team Fortress Two. That hit me too, though. <laughs> yeah, just in a different way. It hit me in my head when I got headshot. <laughs> yeah, by a sniper from 50 yards away. I feel very complex emotions when I get fucking taunt killed by a heavy. <laughs> Pow. Um, so I picked TF2 because, well, 
I I genuinely think it's the game that I've put the actual most hours into. Like there are some games that I haven't tracked my hours, like a lot of my PS2 games, but TF2 has, and I have played. I think last I saw it was nine hundred and eighty nine hours. I could be wrong. It's in the nine hundreds. I do know that it's on Steam. Um, and uh, it's it's a damn shame that uh, of, of the state of it now but ooh, when it was when it was going like in its heyday it, it was phenomenal i i just i i love every minute of it like it's a, so if you don't know what team fortress 2 is it's a team-based shooter and it's each team is made up of nine classes you can have any amount of the same amount of classes or whatever but there's these nine classes, uh, the scout, the soldier, the demo man, spy, sniper, medic, heavy, pyro, and who am I forgetting? Engineer. I, I list them off in, in not in correct order. So I, <laughs> I should have done it attacker, defender, and uh, support. But yeah, so there are these nine characters, nine classes, and... You, you think, oh, well, it's a team-based shooter. Uh, Overwatch has like 30-plus characters, and they keep adding more, and they're going to make a sequel game. Why, why didn't TF2 do stuff like that and make more characters and stuff? Because they didn't have to. They released different weapons and different variations to play each class. So, uh, for example, I'll just go to the Demo Man, because the Demo Man's an easy one to see and visualize and get to know firsthand. So the Demo Man is... Exactly what you say in the name, though. He's an explosives man. And he the the fact that he's named Demo Man, you would think, oh, well, he's just a demolition guy. What makes him any special or unique at all? That's what I love is that each one of these nine people are unique in their own way. They all have the different like accents or they're from different places. They all have their own different personalities. And you get that. But I'll get to that more later. What I was going to go on was the fact that they put so many different items in the game that you can have different variations of the class. So Demo Man has his grenade launcher, his sticky bomb launcher, and a bottle because he's a drunkard. So his bottle is his melee weapon. It's just standard hit things with a bottle. Uh, the sticky bomb launcher drops sticky grenades on the floor or on walls and stuff. And if people walk by them, you can detonate them. And then the grenade launcher shoots pipes or like uh, little like frags that explode over time or if they hit somebody, do more damage. Now... They added these weapons to change the demo man as well as the other classes. Um, specifically, they added a, a various amount of swords. Um, the, sorry, the one I use is the the horseless headless horseman's axe. So I haven't really used the sword in, in so long. Um, and then they added a uh, shield, the the charge and charge. And then they also added a way to put on like boots for your main or uh, in your main slot so that your demo man can. Uh, when he's using his charge and charge turn. So the charge and charge is a shield on him and you get a sword as a melee weapon and the shield allows you to charge forward and your sword suddenly becomes imbued with critical hit damage. Then you run up and you hit them and you slice their heads off and you, you slice heads off. The more heads you slice off, the stronger your demo man gets and you can just run around dashing into people, slicing their heads off. And that is a complete different class entirely to the standard the bog standard demo man pack and i i think that's probably the most unique thing about tf2 and that's why i love it so much is that you can play 
with any combination of the items that they give you in the game and you have a different it's weird that you have a different class each time you could make the argument that uh well the pyro is still the pyro he just walks forward and sets things on fire and stuff but there's also strategies on how to set people on fire do you set them on fire from in front do you set them on fire in the back do you uh hit them after you set them on fire do you switch weapons really fast and switch to your flare gun and then hit them with that like it, it, there's so much strategy in this first person shooter team game and then i guess my final note is that the lore in the games is basically nothing like there's basically nothing you just get thrown into games and you just play them and fight each other and it's fun and all that stuff but they released valve released comics and like their their oh. update pages a lot of comics and a lot of update pages all free stuff by the way which they, tf2 is free now and was free is free and it was free up to a point it, it was not free for a while i bought it if that shows how old i've been or how long i've been playing the game um, i was come from yeah yeah uh, and uh it's it, they they release these free comics that are i think some of the funniest comics i've ever read in my entire life long and short of it team-based shooter phenomenal i I love every minute of it i'm so glad that i've spent 900 hours in it and i'm so sad of the state of it now because i so desperately wanted to go back and get to that exact thousand mark but the the state of it lately has not been great from what i've been hearing from the community so alas that thousand hour mark will forever be out of reach. Deets, what do you got for a fourth? Fourth game. Halo 3. Ah, Halo 3. Halo 3. Yes, the, the good old days of Xbox Live where people would teabag you and call you various <laughs> names that I won't mention now. Yeah. But yeah, Halo 3. Uh, I'll start off with Halo 1 and work up to 3. Uh, I won't go into the games that came after 3 because, you know, they're not 3. Um, but yeah, Halo, Halo started with Halo Combat Evolved, and at the time it came out, it was a very nice game, and it had very nice graphics at the time. It, it revolutionized the first-person shooter genre after Doom came out before that. But Halo 1 doesn't really have a lot of replayability, in my opinion. And then Halo 2 came out, and it was very much a better upgrade from Halo 1. It introduced dual-wielding, you could play as a second character multiplayer was the greatest i think in halo 2 until halo 3 came out and it was just yeah it was just overall way better than halo 1 but then halo 3 came out and boy it's just such a good game the campaign it just finishes uh, master chief's story so nicely Uh, and then halo 4 comes out but i'm not talking about that yeah campaign finishes really nicely Master Chief finishes the fight, as, as he says. It's just, in terms of gameplay, the, the combat is really nice, really fluid, with very, uh, a lot of variety of weapons. You can't dual wield the Needler anymore, but like, who cares? The Needler is, it got buffed so much from Halo 2 and Halo 1, so it doesn't even matter that you can't dual wield it. It's just the best weapon still. And then, yeah, that's just campaign. Then there's multiplayer. And multiplayer, oh man, it's just so much fun. I think Halo, Halo 3 was my first experience with a uh, multiplayer shooter. And it was just mind-boggling to see that like 
oh, the campaign, like, yeah, it's fine. Uh, the campaign was really good, but there's just only so much an AI can do in terms of challenge and whatnot. Then going to play multiplayer, where you playing real people, which at the time was a new concept to me, like, oh man, that guy I just killed, or that guy that just killed me, is a real person. <laughs> I killed a man today. <laughs> a, a real person behind the controller. I did not really kill a man. I need to point that out. I only kill people in video games. <laughs> you can't hear the winking. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so multiplayer, really good. Playing online, even playing with friends. That was another great thing. Like, I think if I was just playing by myself, it probably would have got a little boring after some time. But the fact that I had friends and we played split screen, that just made it so much better. And you could be like, oh, hey, watch out for this guy. Uh, he's coming around. He has the energy sword. Look out. You can call stuff out like that. You also had the uh, unfortunate moments where if you were playing a 1v1, someone may or may not screen cheat. But all that comes with the experience. And I think uh, Halo 3 really packs that all together really well and is a really good entry in the Halo franchise. I mean, we're, we're going to get back into that when it releases on PC. Very true, very true. Uh, Jesse, your fourth game? Okay, we're mostly off of the feel-bad train. Oh, thank God. <laughs> uh, there's, there's aspects of this game that are feel-bad, but it's mostly... I've only got days. so many tissues, Jesse. It's mostly fun Italian adventure. Ah, uh, yes, Mario. The correct. Mario 1. <laughs> Assassin's Creed 2 is on this list, and not just because it takes place in Italy and I myself am grossly Italian. Though it, I'd be lying if I said it didn't play a factor. I'm, a, I'm very enamored with Renaissance-era Italy. It's just, it's such a really, it's a really interesting time period to me. I'm also kind of, I like, I enjoy history. And I've always appreciated the Assassin's Creed franchise for being that, for being this almost window into history. Maybe not entirely accurate, but close. Something approximates sometimes, kind of. Even, like, the, the worst games, I still enjoy to an aspect of, well, it's cool to see things in this time period. It's cool to see these historical figures. I didn't care for Assassin's Creed 3, but I'd be lying if I said that tag-teaming with George Washington to beat up the Brits isn't the hypest bullshit ever. And on the topic of hypest bullshit ever, Assassin's Creed 2 literally ends with a fistfight with the Pope. That is the coolest shit ever. To this day, I consider Assassin's Creed 2 the peak of the franchise. Just because of it's before it's afraid to go off the walls, but not before it became sort of overblown with a lot of mechanics and a lot of kind of bloat. I still think a lot of the boat stuff from three on is bloat. Even in four, I wasn't a huge fan of it. Uh, there's stuff that Brotherhood introduces, Revelations introduces. Every game since has introduced 20 new mechanics or whatever. Sensory 2 is still relatively simple. Even down to its story of you're this kid whose family gets murdered in a uh, conspiracy and now you seek revenge on those conspirators. It's very simple. It's very effective. And Ezio, the main protagonist of 2, is a very likable character. He's kind of, he's a shithead. He really is just kind of a shithead. He starts out the games getting into dumb, scrappy fights over calling another character's mama whore. 
It's fantastic. It's so good. It's everything I want in the main character. And over the course of time, you see him mature, but not entirely lose that. He still can be a snarky asshole, but he gets the sense of responsibility. You see him grow up. You literally start the game as a baby Ezio. Your first actions in the game are kicking and waving your arms and crying. That to to the end of the game, which, though that story itself is the simple one, the, the... Italy story. There's also the second side of the Assassin's Creed coin, which is the present day stuff, which is actually what got me into the franchise to begin with. I never, I didn't play Assassin's Creed 1, but I heard about the ending where you see a lot of crazy runes written in blood in your room, which nobody knew any of it meant at the time. To this day, most of it still kind of means nothing because Ubisoft dropped that story mostly. But don't worry about that. It was still cool as shit to like to, to go on to some weird or some weird website that I've never heard of, have a long description about what each of these things could mean, reading that for probably over an hour, then going into two, and it's mostly normal, but it has these peppered in weird little things like, hey, what's that glowing hieroglyph on the wall over there? And you look at it and suddenly, what the fuck? Oh, I'm in another... I'm in the Animus, I'm in some digital world, and I'm being spoken to by some crazy dude who left these clues, like, through a, a time heist that he had. All this crazy story that has nothing to do with me, but at the same time ties me in and ties a lot into this. Nothing makes any sense, but it starts to, kind of, and it just start, it's building a lore, and seeing that happen in real time was always super, super interesting to me. It upsets me to no end that Assassin's Creed winds up shitting the bed in that story as the series progresses. But in 2, that is the peak. And the peak of the peak, the creme de la creme de la creme, is at the very end of the game when you encounter a literal... Well, not literal. You encounter what you assume is a Greek god, but is actually an ancient being. It's not important. You encounter this person, and this person says, Ezio, hi... I'm not here to talk to you. And then looks at the camera, looks at you, the player, who is a conduit for Desmond, the guy who is controlling Ezio. It's a little complicated. Don't worry about it. Just know it's the coolest fucking twist I've seen in the game, or it's at least one of them. And to this day, I'm, I will never, I will die mad that they did not follow up this properly. But just that in isolation had me go, yo, what the fuck is this? If we're being honest, it might have actually kickstarted my weird obsession with crazy stories and games. Yeah, that because, like weird conspiracy theory feel. Yeah. Because that was sort of like one of the earlier ones for me. And it's only gotten worse from there. But just that alone is cool enough for me to go, I'm all aboard this forever. I mentioned earlier how season one of The Walking Dead is good enough that I bought all the rest of the seasons. Assassin's Creed 2 is good enough that I played almost all of the subsequent games and only, like, three of those are good. <laughs> There's... I don't even know... I don't remember how many Assassin's Creed games there are. There's, like, ten? Twelve, maybe? Something like that. Yeah. Of those, maybe five are good. Uh, I think to this... I'm not someone who oftentimes goes back and replays games. I, I think this is the only one I could say this for, especially on my list. Assassin's Creed 2, I have beaten three times and 100%ed at least once. This is very rare for me. Even in a time when I had plenty of games to play, I'm just like, man, I should play Assassin's Creed 2 again. 
And the game, I won't lie, maybe it doesn't hold up exactly as well as I am at as I remember holding up. There's some wonky stuff with the climbing. Some of it, it sometimes jumping from one part to another through the parkour is a little wonky. But it's still just so fun and simple enough that it's not bogged down by so much. It's very early in that Ubisoft formula of, here's a city, throw up a thousand things on the map, here's all your side quests, go do whatever the fuck. Ah, yes, Jade Cocoon, the early Ubisoft. (laughs) Yeah, exactly, these are the same. Yeah, I I remember when I was first starting out uh, Assassin's Creed 2, and, like, coming from Origins, where all you have to do is hold right trigger to go up, and (laughs) to, to 2, where you have to do this, like, specific button combo to just to parkour and yeah i remember specifically because you were in the room while i was starting that game and i don't know why this specific sentence stuck with me deets this is how you travel in the game and i don't know why that specifically stuck with me (laughs) but just the fact that like oh i have to actually do things the game doesn't just play itself Mm -hmm. and this is something that i'll definitely touch on in the Assassin's Creed episode we do, but I, the the actual climbing in Assassin's Creed 2 is so satisfying to me because it's all a puzzle. You see a tall building, and you see at the very, very top there's a perch, and right next to you is a hay bale, and you know, well, I'm gonna jump from that into this like a, like it's, like it's Renaissance jackass. I just have to figure out how to get there, and it's not just hold and climb up. It's, okay, well, I can see, okay, I have to climb up to this building, and from there, jump here, and from there, I have to shimmy around here, because there's only ledges on this side, and then this, that, and the other thing, and just going through that, that was always so satisfying to me. I remember, I remember distinctly hearing that Assassin's Creed Syndicate was a grappling hook, and that is the exact moment I threw this franchise in the garbage and said, fuck this, I'm done, I don't even care anymore, except I was a lie, I do still care, but... <laughs> man I'm, oh, I'm so mad there is actually a part in uh, odyssey where it is like that there's like a part you want to reach to and you actually have to like solve a puzzle to get there and it really like took me back to the other one too it's it's almost like an environmental puzzle which i'm super into as well but it's a lot of games to this day don't really do it like that it upsets me because it's such a good it's such a cool idea my fourth game i'm gonna go with uh, another hit indie game. I don't know if any of you guys have heard about this RPG. Uh, it's called Undertale? Never heard of it. Okay. Well, in case you were wondering, Undertale is a game heavily inspired by the series Earthbound. Never heard of which, it. Which, if, if you don't know what that is, I'm not surprised. It's uh, the Mother series. Which, uh, yeah, listen. I, I expect you wouldn't. You you're saying they want, but don't actually know if they want. Yeah. They know. Mother 3! Uh, do you actually... What was that? Is the sequel to that called Father? <laughs> I hate you. I'm cutting that joke just, <laughs> just because. <laughs> um, How dare you? So yeah, uh, the creator of Undertale, Toby Fox, uh, was like heavily inspired by uh, Earthbound and uh, Mother. Undertale is a story about a world where there's this war between humans and monsters. Uh, the humans drove the monsters underground to where they can never hurt anybody, and they've been trapped in there ever since. And then you play as this unnamed child where they have fallen into the underground, and they start encountering these various monsters. 
And I won't really say anything much about it because if there's like one person who hasn't played it that's listening to this, which I doubt because go play Undertale. It's on everything. It's on the Switch, for God's sake. It's on, no, more than that, it's on the PlayStation Vita. It's on the PlayStation Vita. The one person that's like only got a PlayStation Vita and sitting there with that, they think they're, they're the last person who has it. And they're like, I can finally play Undertale. Even they could play Undertale. You gotta. It, 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 I'm sure people have played it, but I'm not going to say anything more because it, it's just an experience. It, it, it's one of the weird experiences in games where you, you have to experience it firsthand to really get the full emotional value out of it. And also blind. And also blind. You can't, yeah, you can't have people tell you about it and stuff like that because it's just, it's, I don't know. I, I I had never really heard of a game that you can like spare, like an RPG that you can spare monsters in. Like you don't have to kill monsters. I think that's the coolest feature is that you don't have to kill monsters. You can spare them. And I, I, I love that. It's also half of an RPG and half of a bullet hell. So whenever it's not your turn, when you get attacked, you're, you have a little heart icon. Uh, it's a little 8-bit heart that can move around in this little box. And they will the enemy will shoot uh, various things at you to attack you. And I again, it, it made me enjoy a bullet hell, which I never thought I would say that sentence in my life. I hate bullet hells to death. I, I hate games that are overly hard. Dark Souls, can't fucking play it. I've heard it's so good. I've heard it's got so much juicy lore. I would love every minute of it. Can't fucking play it. I I died like five times to the fucking Asylum Demon, which is the first boss. See, I, I'm actually, I'm almost the opposite on that, where I also, I enjoy Undertale greatly. It was actually on my top five list for a while. Got replaced by something. But I traditionally don't like turn-based RPGs. They just don't, they don't do it for me. I don't like not being in as much control as I can be. And if I make, if I swing, and the game tells me I missed, I get, I'm upset. Because there's nothing I did. It's just the game said, no, you're not allowed. And then I'll go, hey, would, would it be cool if, if he didn't hit me when he hits? And the game says, ha, 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 you idiot. You're getting hit for twice damage. And then I die. And then I'm mad. I don't yeah. like RPGs. But yeah. what Undertale does, because it gives you that ability, it gives you the ability to dodge. And it, which opens up a huge avenue for how attacks work it's just a such a hugely it, it feels like such a minor detail but it winds up being such a huge aspect of the game yeah yeah it's a huge aspect of the game every character has their own unique attacks uh, uh bosses doubly so they have their own unique mechanics which change boss by boss by boss mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. it is very it is entirely skill-based if you get hit by it or not there's not a single attack in the game that is guaranteed to hit you yeah, you exactly. Alone, you, even dodge it. even the hardest boss has no attack that will hit you instantly. There, uh, there are runs on YouTube of people doing no hits against every single kind of boss, and I, I, I oh, it's so amazing. Yeah, and if if it does hit you, it's probably scripted. It's got that RPG feel to it. Um, and you mentioned the bosses, and I was going to actually uh, talk about that. The bosses which are all uniquely named and fun and animated characters and monsters leads me into the characters, which are 
I I love them all. Yeah, every one of them has such a huge personality. Yeah, yeah. No, they, 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 they're all phenomenal. They all have... Yeah, exactly. They have their own personalities, and um, you can tell that by the way they're... What was it? Even the minor monsters. Like, you only fight... Yeah! Like, like every every bit, like, every every monster has its own, like, attacks, and it has its own personality based on its, like, style and drawing, design, and all that stuff. And uh, you can tell with, like, the main characters, uh, they have different, like, fonts, usually. Um, you can also hear, like, their little, like, vocal, I don't know what the word is for it, but, like, the, the, the noise that plays whenever the, the, the voice the the dialogue comes up the that's something i really like yeah the whatever noise that comes out whenever they speak like it feels as if that would actually be their voice if they were talking exactly exactly um which falls into toby fox's sound design which is oh my gosh he 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 made the game and he made his own music with it and it, he has a knack for music it's 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 not a wonder why Nintendo hired him on. He he's got some fucking great bops. Like uh, the self-titled track for Undertale, which I think is just it's just called Undertale. It plays in one part of the game, and I could listen to that song for hours on end, and it will just make me feel like a weird mix of sad and inspired, all in the nice ball. Like, and on, on another aspect of where this game manages to make me like things I typically don't like. I'm not I'm generally not huge into just instrumental themes or like I, I'm, I'm someone who prefers vocal themes for a lot of the stuff I listen to. I still to this day regularly listen to like half or more of the Undertale soundtrack because easily same here. So many of those songs are just bops. I there was I think there was a period of time where uh, one of the songs is called Hopes and Dreams that song, I think, I don't think a day passed when I didn't listen to that song multiple times for a, for a month, probably, because it's just, it is untouchably good. Yeah, and the best part is you can go in not knowing anything about the game at all and just go and get the soundtrack, and that alone is worth money on purchase. Uh, it, it's just, it's the perfect complete package. And I think it might actually be my top game, like of all time. All right. I think I'm good on that. Deets, you want to hit us with your last game? All right. My last game. It's a, it's a big one. It's a big boy. The Witcher 3. It's a big one. It's so good. So before Witcher 3, I think the only open world RPG I ever played was Oblivion, Skyrim, and a little bit of Fallout. And so like after those, I was kind of like I was I was I was having an I was having an itch. I needed some new open world to explore. And so and this was about like maybe half a year after Witcher 3 released, and I kind of just bought it on a whim just cuz like I, it's a, I've heard it's good, and I heard it has a big open world, so let me buy it. So I bought it. And boy, the world is just so rich with details just everywhere. The main character, Geralt of Rivia, at, at first glance, he just seems like an emotionless guy. Uh, and he is emotionless, but there's a reason for that. 
you, you learn, oh, uh, Geralt used to be just a boy, and then he went through the trial of grasses, and he became a witcher. Becoming a witcher strips you of all emotion. And so, like, you, re- you realize, oh, he went through this, like, horrible thing, and that's why he's emotionless. But also, he's, like, one of the best monster slayers ever now. And so you go through the game, you're, like, going through this world. It's such a big, vibrant world. There's just so much to do in it. I can't explain just how much there is. There's also so much, like, variation in the world. There's, like, different regions. And you, like, start off in, like, you know, your generic kind of foresty, flowery field kind of area. And then you move to uh, Velen, which is, like, the swampy, just the slums kind of area. And you're like, oh, there's more to this region than just nice people and flowers. The nice people thing is a lie. There's not a lot of nice people in the area. Uh, In fact, everyone wants to kill you because you're a witcher, and everyone hates witchers. They're racist against you. And then you go from Velen to Novigrad, which is, like, a big bustling city. And from Novigrad to Skellige, which is kind of like your Skyrim of the area. It's very snowy. Also a lot of boat travel in that region. And that's the last of the main areas. Uh, and then you get the uh, Blood and Wine DLC, which takes you to Toussaint. It's just this huge, bright world. It, I don't think it ever goes nighttime in, in Toussaint. But the story behind that region is just one of the darkest things ever. It deals with, like, vampires and stuff. And that's the other thing that I haven't touched on yet. The story is just so amazing. I can't describe it in accurate words. But it's... Like, I can't believe that's just this game that I bought on a whim. (laughs) It's just such a good game. And not even mentioning all the uh, intricacies of the game. Like, there's Gwent which became so popular that it became its own separate game and is now uh, has a huge following behind it. There's horse races, a bunch of things you can collect. If, if I may, it's, it's, the, it's the GTA V of, um, like, ye old yeah. RPG. Yeah, the GTA V of ye old fantasy RPG. Yeah, because there's just, there's just so much. Yeah. I think that's actually a really good way to describe it. Yeah. Um, I, think I, I think I could feel an amount of people just like orgasm at the idea of uh, this man who was raised in the Bethesda filth has been <laughs> baptized in CD Projekt Red's glorious holy water. Yeah. Right. That's, <laughs> that's another reason I have such high hopes for Cyberpunk is that now having played Witcher 3 is just blowing me out of the water. I have nothing but high expectations for Cyberpunk. All right, Jesse, your final game. All right, we're finally we're we're done with we're done with the sad times. We're back. Sad we're times are happy, over. Happy, bright, just this beautiful landscape as you walk out of the cave of remembrance, and everything just pops, and there is a world of adventure. I'm talking about Legend of Zelda: Breath of the Wild. God damn, this game's good. Holy shit. What a sh- and you know what a shock! Uh, one of Jesse's favorite games is one of the highest rating games of all time. This there's slot a, actually there's a reason it got rated there's so a reason. high. This this slot in my favorite games list is actually pretty much always taken by a Zelda game. 
before Breath of the Wild, it was Skyward Sword. And I'm gonna get shit for that. But fuck you, that game's amazing. I love Zelda. Zelda is one of my favorite franchises of all time. It's just, they're just good games. However, what they've started to do recently is that these very, very good games have been backed by very, very good stories. Breath of the Wild story is kind of, it's there, it exists, but it's really not super prevalent. You literally have to hunt for the story. And what you find is nice. I enjoy what you find through the memory and through all of the, the flashbacks and stuff. But ultimately, the prime aspect of this game that the reason why everyone loves it is the exploration. It is, it, it's just such good exploration. It's some of the best I've experienced in a video game. You just like look in a direction. There's like, what's that way? And you go that way. And you're going to find some weird, wacky shit. I distinctly remember one moment of i finished the game i beat the game game is over i'm just like well i've seen all there is to see here i guess i'm just gonna fuck around for a while and i discover this entire like underground sub area that was like not exactly a temple but there was it was unique there was nothing like it in the entire rest of the game and i was like i was blown away i was like i'm what am i 90 hours into this game and i'm still discovering new shit how is that possible is this real? How do you make a game this of this scope with this much to find, with this much to do? It's bonkers. The game is some of the... It's, it's got incredibly fun combat, incredibly fun subsystems. You have shield surfing, which is just a blast. You have ex just exploring through um, the, the desert. The desert itself is kind of crummy, but the city, the Gr Gerudo town is one of my favorite areas in a game period it is so jam-packed and full of life every corner you hit you're just like that's there's world building here there's characters talking here there's a side quest there there's something it is dense it's not a huge area but it's dense same with hyrule castle hyrule castle is one of the coolest dungeons in zelda history if the if the other four dungeons were like that it would be unquestionably the greatest game of all time Hyrule Castle alone, though, is just so good. There's so many nooks for I spent five hours in Hyrule Castle. Not even, like, going into what's in Hyrule Castle. Just the fact that Hyrule Castle had a 3D minimap, it was so cool to me. It's got so much. I'm in a room, and I'm fucking around in the room, and for funsies, I activate my Magnesis room. Hey, what's this giant bookshelf, and why can I suddenly move it with Magnesis? open it oh there's a whole nother room back here which leads to a court which leads to more rooms it is in it is an insane level of explorability in this one area in a world of explorability i've never felt more i guess like free in a game before it is a blast everything about the game is fun and it is so stupidly gorgeous it looks like a, a studio ghibli movie that you're playing which is the the comparison everyone their mother makes to it, but goddamn it, it's right. Uh, excuse me. Did you just say Studio Ghibli? J Jade Cocoon 2. Oh my gosh. I'm adding it to my, my conspiracy theory board of things Nintendo stole from Jade Cocoon 2. <laughs> the ever-growing board. <laughs> yeah, there's a whole six things up there. <laughs> yeah, no. I just, Breath of the Wild is... An unbelievably amazing game. I'm fair again. This is another thing. I don't know when the second one's coming out, but if we were to have this same podcast in two years, there's a real chance that two of the games on this list, maybe three, if Valhalla turns out to be obscenely good, up to three games on this list could be 
gone and replaced with basically the sequels. So my fifth game, it's hard to pick because I have a couple that I was deciding between, but I ended up picking one that I feel like I had the most connection to, which I, I don't know if it says about me personally, but um, Call of Duty, specifically Call of Duty Black Ops. We're not talking Black Ops 2, Black Ops 3, or Black Ops 4. Like, Black Ops 3 is a, a mastercraft of the that series, but I'm going with the first one because I feel like even out of like all of the Call of Duties, it's not my favorite multiplayer because multiplayer wise, I could I could play Modern Warfare Two and Modern Warfare for hours, hours on end, and I, I think I did. <laughs> but Black Ops had something special, which was uh, zombies mode, and World of War had zombies mode as well, but it was not as well fleshed out. They didn't have a lot of stuff in it yet. It was still fresh and new, and they just had started creating it. And Black Ops had the opportunity to take something that they had already done, Treyarch had already done, in the zombies mode, and just throw it at a wall, everything else at that wall with it, and see what sticks. And everything stuck. And I'm in love with all of it. Like, it's so kooky and crazy and wild. This, this, the story, it, I'll save it for a lore dump. Because I can't even get into it right now. It's just, there's too much. There's so much. There's like fucking alternate timelines. and But just, it's a solid game all around overall. The campaign is a blast. Like, it's, it's probably the last Call of Duty campaign that I can remember. Because I, for the life of me, cannot remember any of the other ones. And I played off two Ghosts, I think, on the, in story mode wise. And then I just stopped after Ghosts because Ghosts was so awful. And... It's the so it's the last campaign that I can remember, and I actually enjoyed it. The gameplay is phenomenal. I love how every gun feels unique, even though they all fit into certain categories and stuff and different types. But like every gun feels like it should be modeled after certain specific things, and they don't feel quite as realistic as the newer games do. Like a lot of the newer games have guns that feel hyper realistic. And I just feel like it was weirdly at an uncanny valley of them trying to make it hyper-realistic, but it wasn't quite there yet, and it still worked. And then I'll just kind of fall back into the zombies mode. It's just, they could make a game in a sub-mode that they left to be unlocked at the end of the campaign in the first... Uh, in, in World at War, if you beat World at War story, you got to play zombies. And it was just a survive in this building while zombies come after you. And it was plain and boring and there was nothing to it. And then they made another map for zombies as well as some multiplayer maps and they kept going and kept going. And then they finally got to the point where they were in Black Ops where they just have a bunch of ma uh, maps default in there. They had uh, Kino Der Toten which was a theater of the damned. They had five, which was a game where you played S. You you played it. So zombies is basically you get four people. And they're all these four unique characters: uh, Tank Dempsey, Nikolai Belinsky, Takio Masaki, and Edward Richtofen. And in five, you lose those characters, and instead you get JFK, Richard Nixon, Robert McNamara, and Fidel Castro. And if that's not the quad. and if that's not the wildest cast you've ever heard of, 
it gets wilder later on in the series, but I will go into those when I get into the lore of it in that episode. So look forward to that. All in all, I, I just, I think, oh, oh, duh, I have this, I had that written down, which I, I wrote it down in big letters. Don't forget to talk about the Easter eggs in zombies mode were, holy shit. They, they invented these over the top, you have to like, point and click level of things like you have to rub this on this in order to get a reaction of something um you have to shoot the moon with this gun specifically while there's a zombie touching your kneecaps like it it was that level of stuff like it was so over the top but people did it and people spent hours and hours trying to figure out what to do and it was psychotic but it was an experience to be a part of i think and i i ultimately think that's what puts it on my top five over some of the other games that i had in my list yeah i i'm not like super huge into call of duty but i will say black ops is probably the first one that i not necessarily the first one i enjoyed but the first one i enjoyed on i enjoyed the shooties yeah black ops has to which shocks me a legitimately good story mode like yeah the story oh, of yeah. the game is actually really it's interesting it's fun it's cool there's like there's good twi- there's solid twists in it there's multiple points where i'm just like you know going well i don't know how this connects to this and then later on they get to that point and they go oh you know a lot of like those moments oh yeah yeah you know it, it drops some pretty heavy bombs on you it's not, shit I not, to this day yeah not not even like it's not even nearly as heavy as stuff as most to any of the games on this list that you guys named or that I've named even in story beats, but it's still got that charm and wit and the writing. Like the first time you play through it, you're not expecting it. And I, I, I love it. It's, it's a, it's a time that I wish I could go back to again, honestly. All right. I think that's everyone's games. Oh, Jake. Yes. Are we going to just shoot off honorable mentions or are we going to leave it at that? Uh, we could shoot off some honorable mentions, but I think we're pretty over time. Yeah. Um, we could save it for a bonus episode. Yeah, okay. Um, but yeah, I think that about does it. Uh, good pilot. The man, the man stopped me from talking about Oxenfree. <laughs> <laughs> Play Oxenfree! Um, Held down yet again. Thank you all. Thank you for listening all the way to this. This is our pilot episode, so it's probably going to be a little bit longer than most of the other other episodes. So don't take this as a reference as to how long the episode should go for. Next week's episode, Games from Our Childhood. I believe that is the name of it. Uh, Editor's note, I would also like to thank Philip Gross with his song Tumbona for our opening and ending theme.